When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Welcome into a Purple Daily, a beautiful Tuesday. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin here with lots to talk about, but I think we've got to start, Courtney, with the scene yesterday that was uh, one of the weirdest since I've been here, and uh, for a team uh, that has a lot of weird things happen, that's a high bar to reach, but all the reporters staring at a punter-slash-kicker Well, he boots balls over the starting punter, Matt Weil, and interns try to catch the footballs and everything else. I've never watched that before in practice. Usually we're looking at 11-on-11s, but for the first time we watched an entire practice of a punter-slash-kicker. That was a new one. It was, and I think the part that I almost had a conniption about was I saw him uh, crouch down, and he looked like... He was adjusting the ball into the ground like he was going to snap it. <laughs> and I, Do of course, had a, um, you know, a moment there thinking, oh my gosh, this guy is a triple threat. Triple threat. Well, well, is holding a threat? Well, I think quadruple, he is a, uh, quad, that'd yeah, be a quadruple, quadruple threat, threat. But he, did, he was not snapping the ball. So technically he is a triple threat. <laughs> um, kickoffs, punts, kicking field goals, PATs. Holding with the best holding, of them. Um, it was such a weird day, and yes, we did get a little bit of clarity about why Matt Weil was not holding. Um, he apparently got his hand kicked in the game. He cut his hand. I don't know if it was kicked, what it was, but um, in the Saints game, he has stitches on his finger. So he was not holding the last two days. I know that it looked really weird at first, uh, thinking, okay, is he on probation from touching the ball because <laughs> of really did. Uh, some of the issues that the holding unit has had. Uh, i.e. issues he has had because he's been really the only holder um, outside of a few times Chad Beebe was holding and Adam Thielen just in practice. But to me, it's just such a... It's deja vu. I think back on what happened last year with special teams around this time. Kai Forbath was clearly the better kicker. Daniel Carlson was the fifth-round pick. You knew that they were going to not have Kai because they spent a fifth-round pick on a kicker, but... That being said, Daniel Carlson struggled in camp. And, I mean, he looked good at points, but it was the preseason games where you really started to wonder, okay, like, is this kid going to have the moxie to do this with Mike Zimmer as his head coach? And we all know what happened there. It just feels like they keep overthinking this. Mm -hmm. And it's always special teams. And for a franchise that has lived and died, mostly died with its kickers, um, it just... 
it's a it's a vicious cycle of this thing repeating itself over and over and over again. And um, I, I don't know. I I look at this thing and I'm trying to make sense of it, but it's very hard to make sense of this whole thing um, when Austin Cutting was clearly not the better long snapper in practice and in games. And usually I know that co- we're not necessarily talking about coverage units of why Kevin McDermott was released. Maybe Austin is faster, younger, more athletic, stronger, et cetera, et cetera. Are you, are you sad that that's over? You were tracking it so closely. Well, it's because I can tell you how this whole thing's going to pan out. The guy may be great at, you know, getting down the field on punt return, um, or, you know, whatever he has to do on special teams, like after he snaps the ball, but I'm thinking about field goal units. What's going to happen when, the, when there's a, it's a 20 to 17 fourth quarter and the Vikings have a chance to, to win the game with like a 45 yard field goal and the snap's botched? Like, what's going to happen there? That yeah. to me is, you know, Kevin McDermott, rarely screwed up. Um, maybe he wasn't as fast at getting down the field and just not as good on like coverage, but you know, I'm but just looking at it from that perspective. You, you are talking about now a rookie snapper and a potential rookie holder or rookie kicker, depending on how this plays out. Yeah, now, because, and that's one thing to point out. People need to remember, he is a rookie kicker because he missed the entire, yeah. because of the assault that he went under last, had last year. Um, he was only in the preseason. So this is technically going to be his rookie year. Right. So uh, I think the theory would be that he ends up being the punter. And if they have a 60-yard field goal, he's going to boot it, maybe, potentially. And they're not going to try to have Dan Bailey kick it. Is that how you are seeing this playing out? Yes. And uh, the another thing to add about practice yesterday was on that side field while 11-on-11 11 11 was going on, he's booting anywhere from like 50 to 62 yard field goals off the tee just just letting them rip um to the cheers of the crowd and it was just so poetic and hilarious with his teammates his scorned teammates looking on and just wondering what are, what are we doing here why is this happening it's oh. like you bring in like I don't know. It's like you bring in this like Greek god who's just like booting sixty yard field goals, putting down to the coffin corner. Like, you know, he was he was perfect allegedly yesterday. It was like, like he, he didn't have to kick it from sixty two or whatever, but he was going to do it anyway. Yeah, just to just, show off. I'm here. I kind of like saw this. Vedvik is here. I saw this halo over him actually. This glow <laughs> as he walked off the field in slow motion here to take everybody's job, which uh, I think is something we should get to because Mike Zimmer's comments of. Yeah, why not? Let's see if he, if he wants to, if he's good enough to do both. Uh, sure, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so a good point made by Sam Monson on Twitter was the guys who spend all their time doing one of these things are not perfect by any means, as the Vikings have discovered over the past number of years. Why would we ever think that someone could do both? I mean, that that would be. That would be wild. I mean, I guess we do have uh, Shohei Otani, who in Major League Baseball is an outfielder as well as a pitcher, and it can happen, I suppose. But asking somebody in the same game to kick and punt, that means you have to find a new holder also. Yeah. I think that would be way too much to ask. It's a bit of a stretch, and I think there's a reason that the NFL has not had a full-time combo kicker since 1981. Um, it's ex- I think this guy should do it barefoot. It, um, go, go barefoot kicker. So we're we're just gonna get like the whole whammy of weird here. Um, well, he could be Tom Tupa and be the backup quarterback too. Yeah, I'm sure. You know what else could he do? Tom Tupa one year won like four games, and then had a career as a punter for ten more years. Anyway, it's just such a like even entertaining the idea. 
I get it. Um, you know, from what I had heard early on Sunday, like when they were starting to, like when the wheels were turning before the trade was actually finalized, the the theory was, okay, he's gonna, we need, want, we need a new punter. Like we need, like from the whole stuff that they've dealt with for, with Wild for the last year now, um, to his struggles in camp, they figured, okay, new punter, new holder. That will go to this guy. But then they're also thinking, okay, well, let's just open up the kicking competition too because he was really good, four for four from like a multitude of lengths. I think his longest was above 53, yep, 55. 55. Yeah. Um, he can kick it. So maybe see what he can do there. So they go into this thinking, okay, this guy's going to come in and compete for multiple jobs, but I don't necessarily think that means not having – you know, not having a separate kicker and a punter. Like, you may have him. My theory could be on he'll be the punter, the holder, and he'll be on kickoffs, and then long field goals of 60-something yards. Um, that's a lot of roles still, though, for, for a guy. Like, you you don't want their leg to fall off in practice from having to, like, do the like, kick that much. And it's a hard workload to maintain, but I just get the vibe that he will be the punter first and foremost. Um, and this battery will hopefully go into the season less unsettled than it is right now, but it's still going to be a little bit unsettled because this whole thing's a mess. <laughs> um, okay, so what else do we want to talk about today? I mean, because I could spend all day talking about whether it was right to trade a fifth-round pick for a guy who is neither a kicker or a punter, or maybe both, or maybe they just can't stand that Matt Weil isn't a good holder. I mean, I looked at their punting stats from last year because why not? Uh, and they were in the top five in terms of opposing teams' return yards mm-hmm. per return. They were in the middle of the pack in the inside the 20s. They were in the middle of the pack in the touchbacks. Like, Matt Weil was not really bad. I mean, he had the one blocked, and we thought this might be a disaster after Green Bay, but I thought he was totally fine, and it was like... You come off a, a punter in Ryan Quigley, who's totally fine, and then you have Weil, who was mostly fine last year, and yet you're still trying to replace him. I, I guess a part of me is like, how good do you want these guys to be? There's only going to be a couple elite kicker and punters, and they're very hard to get. So I mean, yeah, if and the Ravens ch- have both of them right now. Which I know is the reason that Corey Vedvik is here. And if you're if you're chasing that though, I I think that's really tough to do because you're probably going to have more swings and misses than hits. Well. Think of it this way, like, what were they in such a pickle about last year? They cut Ryan Quigley at cut-down day, or the day after they released him, and then they go get Matt Weil. So you're going into week one. Daniel Carlson, already a rookie kicker, um, and you're going to have two rookies in this battery with Dan Bailey. So think of it compared to, like, what we're going to see this year. They struggled so much um, you know, in camp last year with that unit, and then all of a sudden before week one you get him a new, a new holder and a new punter. Like, no wonder the timing was not good. No wonder Daniel Carlson was already shook from what Mike Zimmer did to him in the Seattle preseason game and then beyond that. Like, try to keep things consistent. Like, this is a psychological position. This is a position where guys go through periods of ups and downs, and the ones who have coaches who are letting are willing to let them work through that typically are better than the ones that have somebody breathing down their neck and constantly making changes. Funny thing you say that, because last night I uh, was having trouble sleeping, so I pulled up YouTube and started watching Bill's Patriots from 1996. God, that's what you do when you can't sleep? Okay, so I want to just throw this out. take melatonin. Yeah, I did, no, I, uh, Go read a I book. just watch games from the 90s. Uh, so 
Two things. Number one, Sam Gash, the fullback, is being used essentially as an offensive lineman to block the outside linebackers rushing. That they were so confident in their fullback. This is how good fullbacks used to be. They were so confident in their fullback stopping a pass rusher that they left him alone one-on-one and he handled it the whole game. So Sam Gash, underrated all-time player. Anyway, that's not the point. The kicker in this game in 1996 is Adam Vinatieri. God, he's that. That's so weird. How crazy is that? He's, so, he's what forty five now. Uh, yes. Now here's to, works to your point. Adam Vinatieri in this game shanks an extra point back when they used to be like seven yards, and he had missed three extra points by the middle of the season when this game was going on, and it wasn't looking good for Adam Vinatieri at all, and yet. They stick with him, and he ends up being their kicker for a really long time. They have consistency there, and I think that that really matters. I think chasing it around probably doesn't do as much good as just keeping a consistent snapper, holder, punter, so they have this long-standing relationship. I get that, and I understand that consistency and building chemistry and timing. I mean, there's a reason that these guys spend so much of practice during the week down at U.S. Bank Stadium, uh, had home games, to be able to kick there, to get the feel for it, uh, with all the sight lines, the whole thing. But if you're not winning games, if the unit is struggling, I can also see it from the other side of coaches wanting to be like, we need to fix this. We need an immediate fix. And that's what they did last year. I mean, Daniel Carlson's thing was unacceptable. He had a complete meltdown. Like, But that was inevitable when you pull him uh, or when you decide to go for two, not situationally, but to prove a point to your kicker in a preseason game that if he's going to miss him, I'm going to go for two. Like, come on. This <laughs> is a know. psychological position. Do not mess with the dude. So it's a timing thing of like, we want to win. We want to win now. If this unit is screwing us up, then we need to fix it. But you got to also understand you have two rookies in this unit. There are going to be ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you overreact to those ups and downs, then we could find ourselves in um, some very unique positions. So I feel the need, Courtney, to counterbalance the amount of kicker, punter, holder, long snapper talk that we've done by talking about a star NFL player on this team. Because I just, as we go along in camp, it's the tendency to look at the storylines for guys who are more volatile or up and down or could be cut or could be on the team. We don't know. The Kyle Sloter thing, I have ended up dragged into the Kyle Sloter conversation with Sage Rosenfels and Judd, and I didn't want to be there. I was like, we're not doing this again. And then, of course, he goes six for seven and is good. So let me me pull back. Let's talk about someone who's good and who we know is good and what we should expect from them. Adam Thielen was at the podium today, and he was talking about again, this chemistry with Kirk Cousins and how it takes a while and there are certain routes and you have to know how the receiver is going to read it and how you're going to see it. And I've never fully bought into this because Case Keenum was a second-team quarterback that was great and Sam Bradford shows up out of nowhere. He's great. Um, even in 2015, Stephon Diggs didn't play the first three games and then he and Teddy get this instant chemistry. So these things happen. But what is there left to say about Adam Thielen? Are we just that like good, great? That's all I got. Is that is is there like an interesting Adam Thielen story that we can talk about here? I, I feel like I just desperately want to talk about the good players yeah. after spending so much time on Kari Vedvik. Um, the thing I what, what Adam's been in the league now for since 2013, practice squad, 2014, full-time player. So it's been years of um, 
route being a route running technician of adding things to his game his footwork so when you try to write the next big Adam Thielen story, what is it going to be? And I've been kind of milling over this in my head. Um, and you think about, okay, why is he so good? Why does everybody talk about his route running? And I asked him about that this morning, just kind of wondering, okay, you're this many years into the league. Like what you do, no matter if you ever practice it ever again or just did it in games, you'd be very, very good to elite somewhere in that range every mm-hmm. week. Um, but what is it about like going into the 2019 season? Like, what are you doing differently? Because I think back to that game on Friday night and that ball. I think you and I were joking that maybe he does like when the ball's a little bit underthrown or he has to adjust to it in the air and use his body control and um, things like that. I think all receivers would love to catch it in stride, uh, but there's there's something about him that it's like you don't ever question contested catches when it's Adam Thielen versus, you know, most cornerbacks. I mean, Eli Apple has always had the issue of never getting his head around. That's that's just been kind of his his MO. But I'd put Adam up against anybody, more or less, in those situations and expect that he's going to do those things um, to, to come down with the ball. And same thing for Stephon Diggs. But that's, like... That's the one area I'm really interested in diving into. Like, why is he so good? How do you maintain being so good mm-hmm. at that? Um, and, and when I was talking to him today, just about the way he's, is it the way he sells his routes before that to, to, you know, a lot of times, you know, get past guys, but when he is dealing with contested catches, what is it about the little intricacies of what he's doing that allows him to be that good? I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me because he's never really dipped at all uh, in in terms of how good he is at making those plays look easy. I mean, he comes into the league in, as you mentioned, 2013, 2014, and 15, sees a little bit of action. Mm -hmm. Mostly in special teams, right? Yeah, I mean, he was thrown at 16 times in 2015, which, um, not to belabor a Teddy Bridgewater point, but he didn't have the version of Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen that current quarterbacks enjoy. I'm just going to say that. Uh, Anyway, when you look at the... Fantasy stats, but we've been over that. Um, but since then, when you look at the quarterback rating when targeted, you look at the pro football focus grades, he just keeps getting better and continues to make his quarterbacks into stars every time you throw it at him. Last year, Kirk Cousins throwing at Adam Thielen. This is sort of the ironic thing about the meltdown in Week 17 with them yelling at each other. A 115.4 quarterback rating when throwing in Adam Thielen's direction. And I guess I just... Like what what you're saying is interesting of maintaining this level of excellence, 100 catches, 113 catches, and just being this great receiver year after year. It seems that he has figured out how to do that. I just I wonder like I can't ask is there another level to Adam Thielen? Can I? That's just like too absurd. Can I ask this though? If Stefan Diggs isn't there, is do, he the same? Do we believe that Adam Thielen can be a guy who's going to be able to take over. Because you look at like DeAndre Hopkins or Julio Jones, they don't need anybody else. Mm-hmm. But the games where Thielen has not had digs, it's, it hasn't been the same. I've had discussions with people about that, of whether people really believe that Thielen is a true star, number one wide receiver. Of course, it's a mixed bag of responses. But I do, like last year, Around the time, maybe it was like week six, when he was six straight games of 100 yards receiving, ended up finishing that streak with eight. Like At that time, people are trying to say he's the best receiver in the NFL. Is he, though? Or is it because of what's happening to Stephon Diggs on the other side of the field um, and maybe allowing him to free up? Because, like, 
truth be told, up until the Patriots and the uh, what was the game after that in Seattle, no t- teams did not br- they they use bracket coverage at times, but nobody truly dedicated two defenders to both of them until those two games. They copied the same strategy. Um, so I do wonder if st- if Diggs is gone, um, is Adam a star? Is Adam like the guy? Mm-hmm. I'd be more willing to say that if Thielen was gone, Diggs would be able to be that guy. Because I think, you know, really all around, Diggs is a better receiver. He can play outside better. Um, I think that on contested catches, he's probably better. He's just as good, if not maybe a little bit better of a route runner than yeah, Thielen. Yeah, I think um, he is. But, I, you know, I, I have such a hard... I go back and forth. They play off each other so nicely, and it's such a luxury for this team to have both. But if you took Thielen away, I think Diggs would probably be fine as he is if you took Thielen away though or if you took Diggs away from Thielen I think Thielen would probably have a lot of the issues that he had in those games where we saw him limited to like 60 70 yards receiving so I'm just looking at last year and you mentioned the changes in how people covered them it was very clear there was a game where Diggs wasn't in and he had 22 yards that was the Detroit game Detroit game yep and then he has 100-yard game after week eight last year, and mm-hmm. and one where he has, he has nine, Green Bay. Uh, yes, no. one where he has 19 yards, one where he has 28 yards, and he just um, did not seem to have the same season after uh, teams seemed to figure out kind of how to handle him. And I don't know if there's another weapon on this team that changes that. So maybe that's the Adam Thielen conversation. Let's talk about it when we get back. Is did teams figure it out last year? Like, should we realistically expect Adam Thielen to be as good as he was the first eight weeks or second? Let's discuss when we return here. You're listening to Purple Daily, Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Join Dan Terhar and myself this Wednesday, that's tomorrow, for Score North's coverage of Minnesota United and the Colorado Rapids. Pre-game at 6.30 with kickoff at 7 p.m. right here on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, and the very much free Score North mobile app. Now back to Purple Daily. Welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin here. Coming up later on the show, Stephen Ruiz from USA Today, Sam Ekstrom from Zone Coverage. We'll also talk to Derek Klassen from Football Outsiders. A packed show here today on Purple Daily. Okay, so we were talking, Courtney, before the break about Adam Thielen and whether we should expect the first half version or the second half version. And, I, I mean, the numbers over the last two years would point to Adam Thielen is not really stoppable for teams over 16 games, but should there be some concern since there still isn't really a number three wide receiver or, or are they just going to be able to hit on big plays? So maybe he doesn't have as many catches, but he has bigger chunks of, of yards. I mean, what, what are we supposed to expect from Adam Thielen? I've observed this from a fantasy perspective. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of explain what I've written for that. When you look back at what happened those final three games of the 2018 season, um, when Stefanski took over as offensive coordinator and, you know, the Vikings went, what, 
two, two, three in that span. Yeah, two, win- and, two and one. Yeah. Two and one, excuse me. Um, with Miami, it was Miami, Detroit, and then the loss of Chicago. Correct. Um, Thielen's target share went down considerably. Yep. If Diggs was the favorite receiver in that, so of course you think, okay, is that going to translate over? It might, but I also think that I don't think Thielen's production, just in terms of like the target share alone, is going to shrink all that much because, you know, for him to, you know, Kirk Cousins is comfortable throwing the ball that he did uh, to Thielen at the one yard line last Friday. Um, he knows that that's the bread and butter of Thielen's game: the body control, the the release, the to be able to get around the corner and make big plays like that. That's his, you know, that's a strength. But the tight end usage is going to increase. The running back usage is going to increase. The screen game with backs and tight ends is going to increase. What does that do for the rest of the, these pass catchers? Well, I think everybody's production and target share and, and all that will shrink considerably, while guys like Dalvin Cook will certainly go up. And it's not just the fact that he's going to be playing, you know, hopefully for his sake, more than um, seven or eight games this year. But um, with Thielen, I just think that there's there's – it's actually kind of a good thing for this offense if it does shrink a little bit because it shows you the other guys are getting involved. We didn't see that last year. It was such a a heavy like heavy lean on both Thielen and Diggs, and I know mm-hmm. that a lot of that had to do with the fact that they could only free up like one of them past the sticks, especially on third in third down situations. Maybe the you can scheme around that better to scheme other guys open. Your offensive line's better, so you'll, Kirk will in theory have more time in the pocket, and you'll just be able to get better looks. But I don't think that it's realistic to think that the whole oh hundred eight straight games of a hundred yards receiving is going to continue because teams have figured it out. I don't know why it took until and the reason that Detroit game they brought up last segment. I mean, Diggs was hurt, I believe, um, so it kind of gave Detroit free reign to just go all in on Thielen. But yep. beyond that, after you know week eleven when they're in Chicago, um, you know Thielen didn't have a great game there. But you know the Patriots, the Seahawks. They're not doing. They weren't when you're called doubling somebody. It's typically bracket coverage. Yep. One guy playing up top, one guy on him. But was it the um, McCourty brothers? Weren't they? On, were they on Diggs or were they on Thielen in uh, the Patriots game? I specifically remember one play where they designed to shake double coverage, yes. and it was with Thielen. Yes. And I think the throw was a little high or something like that. It's just like it's amazing though that that strategy was not employed till week fourteen of the season. Like right. that to me was wild, and Seattle picked up on it. Like they were given a tutorial of how to stop both of these guys, and yeah, it means on the back end that you're heavy on two players, and you might be able to free up the middle of the field uh, for other things. But they weren't running the ball; they mm-hmm. weren't doing other things to get guys open. So of course, it made it easy. Um, I wonder how much teams are going to use that same strategy this year. Maybe not so much early on, but as you're trying to like figure out what this Vikings team is, because there's so little on tape of Kevin Stefanski calling plays. I mean, unless you want to just go pull up Pat Shermer's playbook and pull up like what Gary Kubiak did throughout his career to anticipate what they're going to do. But with this personnel, um, I think it might take teams a couple weeks to figure out like how different Adam Thielen's going to look in this mm-hmm. offense, because they're going to certainly mitigate all that, like what they expect from defenses before they even like go see some of the best ones. So let me throw this out to you then. Let, let's assume that Stefan Diggs is healthy for most of the year like he was last season. Mm-hmm. Let's just make that assumption. Would you expect, and, and, and that's the thing is that Diggs was healthy for all of the games except for Detroit that Thielen was mostly shut down or slowed down to yeah. 
you know, 28 yards against the Patriots, and they wanted to throw more than Mike Zimmer wanted them to throw in that game, and still, you know, he struggled to get open. And even the Detroit game toward the end of the year, it was at you know, 80 yards. It's not like he lit them up. He only had two catches against Miami. And even if he was somewhat effective, um, you know, in terms of his yards per catch, you're still not talking about a huge workload for him toward the end of the season. The teams were really focusing on him. And maybe, I guess, the, you wonder if teams have finally come around to, you no, know, we actually have to pay attention to both of these guys because Diggs usually gets the shutdown corner. Mm-hmm. So when you play Patrick Peterson, he goes on Diggs for the most part. Uh, Do you I think, think that'll ever change? Um, I don't. I really don't. I don't, know. I think it's... You have to defend them differently. Yes, they are very complementary to each other, and their skill sets are similar. But I think that Diggs is probably the bigger threat that you have in getting to the open, in like in the open field. I mean, if you throw Thielen in the slot, you're going to be covering him much different than you are if Diggs is outside. Um, so I'm not surprised that got, like that, you know. Historically, teams have shadowed digs. I just yeah. don't anticipate that changing. And that's what makes it hard to uh, for any team to double Adam Thielen or to shadow him with the top corner is that he's in the slot. Yeah. And most of the defenses are designed to handle the um, the the slot with the zone coverages, and Thielen's great at finding spaces in the zone coverages and, and things like that. Um, I just let me put put it this way to you: Would you say over or under ninety? Catches and 1,100 yards for Adam Thielen. Is I'm that... taking the under on catches for sure. I think. I'm a... So you're saying that he drops by like more than 20 catches this year? I think the over under we had on our fantasy estimates uh, that are coming out this week was 89, and I took the under, but just barely. Like I'd probably put him maybe at like anywhere from like 85 to 88. Um, in his yards, I mean, he'll still be a thousand yard receiver, but I don't think it will nearly be to where it's at last, like last year. He'll probably still make, he'll probably make his third Pro Bowl. Like, it's not a knock on Adam Thielen. I just think that they're going to, his target share is going to shrink because of what else Kirk, they're going to, they only had two options last year. Like, think about it. Kyle Rudolph didn't catch the ball. Dalvin Cook was hurt all the time. Uh, they had no running backs to, to throw the ball to and no other wide receivers. You had two playmakers. So, of course, it's going to change. Of right. course, there's going to be other guys who get involved. Um, so, of course, I think, in that sense, his target share is going to decrease. It's just it's logic. One more Adam Thielen question, because we just decided to talk about Adam Thielen since he was at the podium today and, you know, sort of gave you your usual Adam Thielen stuff at the podium. Um, how many wide receivers in the National Football League of Football would you draft before Adam Thielen? A couple. Julio Jones. DeAndre Hopkins, Odell Beckham Jr., Antonio Brown. Um, so I'd, he, I'd probably, because I don't need to keep going down the list, I'd probably put him about my like eighth if I was re- drafting on a fantasy team, um, seventh or eighth. And so not not fantasy team though, like just as or a any receiver, team, just any as a receiver. Team, sure, yeah. Okay. I mean, fantasy be damned. I would take probably if you're asking who are the receivers that are better than Adam yes, Thielen. Yes. Yeah, there's about seven seven or eight in my mind. And I think Stefan Diggs is probably a tie or yeah. slight edge. I, I would put I'd probably draft Diggs and then I draft Thielen. Um I think he's in the same ballpark as like Devontae Adams. Yes. Uh, Jarvis Landry. Robert Woods, like, T.Y. Hilton, yeah. Mike Evans as in these guys are extremely good franchise players. I would still draft Antonio Brown ahead of Adam Thielen if his feet are okay. My uh, fantasy team name, I, I'm sorry I keep talking about fantasy. I don't know who I am. I named it Antonio Brown's Foot Problems. Oh, wow. So, um, by the way, it, 
And this Antonio, Antonio Brown thing is going to be fine. Like, he's going to get a helmet, and what he's going to play football, okay? Th- that's like, the thing that irritates me, because people are like, oh, like, you don't understand it from a player's perspective, and, um, you know, it's a player's league, and, and he's, you know, they just... It was going to be fine. You're not going to win this. Like, in your contract, it says you have to play with this helmet. Did you not look at your contractual language? Well, I just don't understand. Like, it was all this whining for naught. And uh, you also have to wonder, like, who was the one that leaked all this out there to Mike Silver to try and make Antonio Brown look someone, super Someone bad? in the Raiders organization, which is so interesting because Gruden gets to the podiums like we support him fully. Um, but they probably were pissed, to be quite honest with you. They were probably really angry being like, we expected you to be a problem. We didn't expect you to be a problem three weeks in a training camp. But also, though, he wasn't going to practice anyway with the foot issue. So it's, it's but probably going to be it's, a while. Yes, but it was more chaos than anything else. It was I, just like, be quiet, that, is, that's I, what, I think. What I, I just wonder was. why someone would put it out there, because it doesn't seem like that crazy that someone would file a grievance against something and then win or lose, and then you go back to playing. But then there was all this stuff about, oh, he might not play and everything else, and he's I, rejoining the team. He's going to find a helmet. He's going to play. Like This is going to be fine. I just, I guess I took this one a little bit. I don't know, badly because I got so many tweets of like, oh, look, you idiot, you wanted the Vikings to trade for him and everything else. Look, I mean, the Raiders gave up nothing to get him. Okay, they had money. So even, even if this blows apart, they didn't even give him a big signing bonus. Like actual cash that they've paid him so far is like $1 million. So, I mean, it just, I still think it was a great move to trade for the guy. And if his feet are fine, he'll be fine. I think the issue... And this is all speculation. I'm actually very excited because tonight Hard Knocks comes out. And I I saw, I think... It was, Are they going to address this? Ian Rappaport tweeted earlier that's like one of the most anticipated episodes ever for obvious reasons. But I think maybe either he saw a preview or something else mm. that... Um, I mean, I am so excited to see how they address this and if they were shut out, if they were not. Because my theory is that the whole threatening of, I'm just not going to play football, you have coaches panicking because you know that the, that he's got the ball in his court. He went on that interview with Jeff Darlington a couple months ago saying, I don't need it, I have enough money, I'm fine. You're scrambling at that moment if you really think he's serious. If he, you know, After that two-hour phone call with the arbiter, um, I think you're freaked out and you're probably livid and you're thinking, okay, well, if this guy's going to screw us, I'm going to screw him. And uh, maybe it was emotions running high and, and they all kind of knew as the thing was playing out last week that it would work out fine. But for someone to leak that type of information and to make it, you know, it's purposely leaked to make him look bad or make him look like a diva. Because you saw, we were reading him on air the other day, just the the tweets about he's in a team meeting looking at his bank statements. I mean, how, um, this is why it's that's so like, weird to that's me. That's painted out to make him look like he doesn't give a blank. Right, but like, like who doesn't? I mean, they, I, they used to tell stories about uh, Lawrence Taylor showing up to team meetings just completely plastered from the night before and sleeping through them and then still knowing the game plan anyway like he could he could do it but i mean is this the first veteran nfl player to take a look at no. his phone i mean that, that's why it's so absurd to me the whole thing is it was clearly leaked the way that it was set up was to make him look as bad as possible make him look like a diva and, and you know this is a tiresome thing about the nfl but also like fun uh is 
There's just so many human beings who are involved in these football teams that if anyone has a beef, you know that somebody is going to happily put out there what their beef is. And that that's kind of what it seems like with Antonio Brown, is that somebody was rubbed the wrong way yes. by him or was mad at the way he was handling this whole thing I, or something. That's entirely it, that they were just they were irritated. It's like, we're giving you this opportunity to, to get away from Pittsburgh, to start over, to be the guy, to make a ton of money. Um, and you're treat you, you know you're you're washing your hands of us before we even get out there. I mean, because you're whining know, about your helmet. Do we even know it was in the Raiders though? Like, I mean, I, I it would make sense. It that would it make was sense. Somebody if it was Pittsburgh, but who is he still? I mean, how would they know? I mean, just anybody who even knows Antonio Brown or knows players on the team or knows coaches on the team. This is what I mean: is where we take these things as just complete fact. And there are always pieces coming out, like the one about the Packers, the one about the Browns, that are just like shredding people with anonymous sources. And I think every single one of them is grain of salt. Like, they're making it sound like Mike McCarthy was the biggest idiot ever, and Aaron Rodgers the biggest jerk ever, and we're quoting Jermichael Finley for the 600th time. Like, clearly, you should thank Aaron Rodgers, Jermichael Finley, for having a job ever in the NFL. And with Antonio Brown, there's enough people, I'm sure, that he's rubbed the wrong way that somebody wants to put it out there. And here's the solution. The guy's going to find a helmet that the NFL approves, and he's going to play football, and he's probably going to be really good at it. Like, I would be stunned if there's any other outcome to this. So it's like the, it gave the Internet a lot of fun for one day, but it's just another sort of senseless, leaked you know, whatever garbage that doesn't actually mean anything. I think that's how this will ultimately play out. I do too. And it just kind of felt like, okay, we're, we're all hyperventilating and reacting to this nonsense. And it's, it was what last Tuesday or last, what day were we talking about this Thursday of last week? Um, no, Friday, Friday, Friday. Friday. Um, it all blends together. Um, but it's just like, it was all for nothing. Like, why did we waste brain cells on this <laughs> crap? Like, I just don't understand that. Um, this stuff happens all the time. But I can understand where Antonio Brown's coming from, from the player level. You think Aaron Rodgers? Look at his helmet. It does not look like it was from the last 10 years. No. Because it's, it's not. That's Tom Jim Brady, Kelly's helmet. Yes. Let's try Fran Tarkington's helmet. <laughs> like, it's just, you know... But he, but why is nobody making a big deal about A-Raj not playing with, like, the new one? That's what I don't understand. I mean, Brady has been asked about it and talked about, like, having to deal with it. And, yes, they can get these guys new helmets. They can he can work with them. They send him, what, 11, 13, 11 models, something like that, yeah. to work through. Um, it'll all end up being fine. At the end of the day, Antonio Brown likes playing football. He loves money. He, he's got enough of it already, but you always want more. Like, I don't think there was ever a train... A shred of any sort of doubt in my mind that this would get resolved. So you strike me as uh, someone who was a Dave Chappelle show fan back in the day. I loved it. I'll um, watch it now. Well, that's a good bedtime TV. So when they had the episode where they put the white guy in the house and then they all like they stab his dad and they do like a bunch of crazy stuff to him and then he loses it and then they're like, oh, I guess this white guy can't control himself. This is what we do to wide receivers. Yeah, is that we just have this. And I'm not saying that Antonio Brown isn't a pain, but last year, uh, Ben Roethlisberger calls him out for running the wrong route depth or something for uh, an interception. So Roethlisberger pulls an extreme Kirk Cousins and just says, this guy did the wrong thing and it wasn't my fault. 
And uh, then Roethlisberger gets full reign of the organization. He's never wrong. It's always he's right. He's the Super Bowl champion. The general manager says he would do anything for Roethlisberger. He'd throw himself in, in front of a bus for Roethlisberger or something. And so, of course, Antonio Brown can never be right. And then they say, but you're crazy, and we have to get rid of you, and he's a diva. And I feel like this has happened with so many receivers. I'm not saying they don't bring it on themselves sometimes. Brandon Marshall had legitimate like mental health problems. Uh, Terrell Owens never did anything to anybody except for like having fun and kind of being about himself. But I, I don't know. I, I think it's a thing that we kind of make a self-fulfilling prophecy where we're just looking to egg, egg the person on or perpetuate what the view of that person is with wide receivers. And I don't know why it is. There's probably diva defensive ends and diva left tackles and everything else, but we just do this to receivers all the time. Because it's a flashy it's kind of position. Guys wear their chains. Sometimes their chains get ripped off in the middle of games. Like, it does happen. You know, it's cornerbacks and receivers they always get labeled as trash talking divas i don't know i mean you go back in history and of course you can pick out certain ones you think randy moss and Deion sanders okay like but they didn't set the narrative for everybody i mean other guys were doing this too and i just you know you never hear about a left tackle or, or a right guard or a you know, running back to hear some stuff with. You never hear about a fullback complaining about a helmet or. Thir- you probably I, wouldn't, though, right? I, you wouldn't, but it's like. No well, one's leaking anything about the fullback's no. helmet issue. But, like, I mean, like a left tackle, for example, like a more prominent position. You don't hear about that same type of thing, and maybe it's just the mentality of, you know, you're one of five guys. You do have the most important position on the offensive line, but you are one of five. Receivers are kind of like these dudes who are on an island yeah. where they are they've got this aura around them that you know 70% of the game or maybe a little bit less than that but you get what I'm saying like most of the offense is going to run through these star players yeah. so it's kind of like okay you need me more than I need you right. I'm going to stand my ground on what I believe but they but it just comes across Probably because of the way it's painted from the way that the league's trying to tarnish these guys a lot of times. It's a player's league, and they realize that. Um, if you don't have Antonio Brown, you're messed up. Like you, The league is messed up at that point, and it's not good for ratings. It's not good for football. So eventually you're going to you're gonna concede to what he wants to do, but you're not going to exactly be happy about it. And certainly the grievance, they won. But in other cases, they'd probably have to concede. You're going to make an example out of him in, in the process of getting there. Yeah, so that's why I guess I even wondered if it came from the league to try and embarrass him into just doing what they want. I think it's a because it's a limelight type of position. Fantasy uh, would ramp this up. Also, they always want the ball, of course, as uh, mm-hmm. they're they're fighting for their own stats and their own money and everything else. But I also think it's kind of we we just have this disposition that these guys are divas, and that's how. Uh, we cover them in a lot of ways. It's like, oh, oh, a receiver did something. So he's a diva. You know, I, I just remember the example of Michael Strahan always sitting out at training camp and everything else, and he was never made to be a diva, uh, but he would have if he was a receiver. So um, anyway, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, I do want to ask you who you're looking at uh, for this next week as we lead into preseason game number two. We'll be right back. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin on Purple Daily. 2.51 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. And besides podcasting all of our shows, which you can find all of our shows from the Twin Show, Glenn Perkins on Baseball, Purple Daily, Mackie and Joe with Rami, you can find those all on Podcast One, Spotify, 
anywhere you find your podcast. You can also find some of the podcasts that we do that don't make the air right now. Check out Minnesota Sports Rewind. That's one of them where Score North goes back in time and dives deep into some of the most prominent moments in Minnesota sports history, including some games, Twins and Tigers, Game 163, another series, we got a series, Twins and A's from the 2002 ALDS, Uh, we got some basketball ones here, Kevin Love's 30 and 30 game and Kevin Garnett's dominating Game 7 against Sacramento. Again, that's Minnesota Sports Rewind on scorenorth.com, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. All right, one last segment here in the first hour. Coming up next, Stephen Ruiz from USA Today. We'll also talk with Sam Ekstrom and uh, Derek Klassen, who is from Football Outsiders. So lots of good football coming in the next hour. With the couple minutes we have left here in the hour, Courtney. All right, we've got a week leading up to the second preseason game. It is Sunday night, so we've got a bunch of practices that we still have to cover and keep an eye on uh, Kari Vedvik, does he become the number one thing we are all looking for in preseason game number two? Sure. I mean, new acquisition. They spent a fifth-round pick to get him. So how are they going to use him? Is Matt Weil going to still be on the team at that point by Sunday? Well, he'll um, be on the team a while. Ha. Boom. That's a one-clapper. Um, <laughs> it is intriguing, and I kind of had this theory. You know how like he wasn't practicing yesterday, and we find out from Mike Zimmer it's because he has the cut on his thumb. Do you think he would have been gone had he not had that? Um, injury settlement, you injury, mean, or Injury something? settlement. But he's like, practicing. But let, no, let's say like he didn't get the injury. Do you think they would have cut him? Oh, nah, I don't know. I think they want to see if this guy can actually do it. Like They want to have him in the building first, and then they'll decide. Right? You spend a fifth-round pick for somebody you don't know if they can actually do it? That seems a little much. I mean, do you know? Like... All he's done is a handful, handful of preseason punts. games. He, but he's literally punted like two times for Baltimore in the preseason. I know. It's wild. Are we, um, are we really sure? I, well, they clearly are hedging a lot of it, a lot of their uh, confidence on him being able to do it, sending a fifth round pick. I'm just saying. I Anyways. Think, I think we'll be talking about it for a while. Oh, God, we got to stop with these horrific puns. I'm not going to indulge you. Um, but anyways, yeah, <laughs> Corey Vedvik figuring out what he's doing. Is he doing kickoffs? Is he doing punts? Is he doing, is he holding? Is he the kicker? Like, this is I mean, so great. It's going to be great. Actually, like, the other two specialists are going to be on ice for this game. It's just going to be the Corey Vedvik the, show. The Corey Vedvik game. Um, they'll bring Matt Weil out to hold. Like, literally, that's all he'll do. Or actually, no, it'll be Dan Bailey, considering yeah. Bailey did it yesterday in practice. Um, that's one thing I'm looking at. I think with the, um, the receiver group still, I'd like to see, I'd like to see a little bit more from Chad Beebe. Um, he didn't do much in that first preseason game and it was, it was good to see BC Johnson separate himself a little bit, but what about Dylan Mitchell? Um, what about any of the other guys down the depth, down the depth chart? Um, so that's one other area. I'm curious with the offensive line. Um, you know, when does Brian O'Neill return? When does, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do we, do, can we gauge more from this first team offensive line, like the starters? I, I mean, there's, there's a bunch there. Looks like I'll be seeing him in the regular season. Right? No? Okay. Uh, I'm not, I told you I'm not in All right, you. fine. That's fine. Um, the rest of the receivers, though, I mean, just 
just mega thumbs down for the other night. I mean, like, come on. How hard is it to find somebody who can run some routes and catch some footballs? I mean, B.C. Johnson was the only guy that even slightly stood out in the first preseason game. And Mike Zimmer said, and this was one of those, he's using the podium now for messages, which I totally welcome. Yeah, I support that. Feel free to do that whenever you want, Mike. Um, But... He's like, yeah, you guys are trying to figure out who all the receivers are. They might not be here. I'm like, damn. (laughs) But he's probably right. I mean, I, I, so I've got a milkshake bet with another reporter, Courtney. Tell me what you think. Treadwell and Jordan Taylor. I've got, I've got neither of them now. Okay. So you're on my side with this. I mean, I had Taylor on my initial 53, but I'm never going to mention that again because I actually saw him play football since then. And it's not pretty, not pretty at all. And Treadwell. I think you're looking at somebody else getting cut and then it's a, it's an Aldrich Robinson type of situation. And I'm starting to think that for the secondary, too. I have no idea what to think of Benay Wickery, but um, aside from him, again, just like nobody stepping up. And at some point, maybe we'll do this tomorrow on the show, like the depth is just not going to give you a ton of confidence. The defensive depth, I only have confidence right now with a, with the defensive line just because of the numbers game and there are capable bodies. Or is it going to be that big of a drop-off? Probably. Probably at the three technique position is going to look a lot different than last year. Um, defensive end, Stephen Weatherly should be okay. He didn't do much in the first preseason game. I'm confident with if Afadio Denebo is in the growth pattern there. I don't know if he can do it in a real game yet. That's the and that and linebacker are the only two That's positions it. that I have confidence in the depth. You have no depth at safety, none. You probably need to bring another safety in here before you do anything else with corner. Maybe George Iloka. God bless him. He's in Dallas Great now guy. in a much better situation. Hopefully he'll actually get to play. I, um, I love when, when there's a really bad situation or a bad play or something, but we can say great guy. I just George he, was a great guy. The way he handled that last year was better than anybody I could ever imagine because I would have lit the coaching staff up if I was brought in being told that I'm going to play over Andrew Sandejo and start and then I'm I'm just not there. Uh, yep, that was an unfortunate situation, but I think we'll be seeing that again with somebody yeah. who gets cut. Uh, all right, thank you, Courtney. You're going to be in for the whole show tomorrow. Yes. We're also going to have Mike Remmer, uh, Renner. Not We're Rem- getting Mike Remmers? No, no, Mike Renner from Pro Football Man, Focus I wanna, tomorrow. I want to ask Mike Remmers about going back to right tackle. I know. like Pat hey, Remmers like, come home, son. Is it not as terrible as guard was for you? Um, okay, all right. Thanks, Courtney. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And uh, coming up next hour, Stephen Ruiz from USA Today. Derek Klassen from Football Outsiders. We're really diving into what the league's going to look like this year. And Sam Ekstrom gives his take on the kicking situation. A lot coming up. We'll be back here on Purple Daily. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup. So you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. 
Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.